This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. Now, we are back with you once again to talk about film things. Um, we are really excited. We have a mailbag. Now, we might need to set this one up a little bit because this question immediately went to the top. Because <laughs> now... If you're a Wondery Plus subscriber and you get our bonus episodes, you know that this is something that we do a lot. Not only do we do it a lot, we love doing it. It's like, it is at the heart of this podcast, what what this is, what this email contains, which is that, you know, we've asked for these fuck, Mary kills, right? And we got one that just could not be denied. And we found the, just the people to oh. help. Am I right? I mean, we went to the question rose to the top and then we rose to the occasion and got (laughs) the best of the best. Everybody's rising. So for this mailbag, this very special mailbag, we had to bring in two of my favorite podcasters, some folks that Danielle and I love. Um, They host a podcast called The Movies That Made Us Gay. I am a little bit biased because I've been on it before, but it is really, truly an enjoyable podcast. They have the same, I think, sensibilities that we do. Like, same references, same same reactions to things in movies. And it's so fun listening to them. So please welcome Peter Lozano and Scotty Youngbauer from the movies that made us gay. Hello. Hello. Hi. What an honor. This is probably one of my favorite podcasts. So whatever, like, (gasps) I mean, it's like going to the chocolate factory for podcasters. Lynn, (laughs) Pete and I got the golden ticket. This is going to be so much fun. Oh, Scotty. Thank you. (laughs) You guys are amazing. You guys are truly, (laughs) I I listen to, um, I'm very selective about the podcast I listen to. Because I kind of, you know, they're, they're mood setting. And you just always make me laugh you lift me up you make me learn i just i love i adore (laughs) you you so much danielle yeah thank you that means a lot especially coming from you yeah absolutely because you're so fucking cool yeah oh what look at me you (laughs) see where i'm sitting how cool is this i'm in like some haunted house closet talking to a microphone like an old middle-aged creep (laughs) oh man but we are so so psyched and tell us do you want to tell the people a little bit because i think that like my personal goal right now is to get every single person listening to us to listen to you oh wow Um, thank you so much so can you tell us something that's like do you have a favorite episode is there something you really just you're just so naturally good at at podcasting and you're such a great team so i just kind of want to know like what what's your favorite thing about your podcast 
Good question. That's a really good question. Yeah, my goodness. You're I, like nothing. The way they looked what? at each other, you guys. <laughs> oh I know. And, uh, what and, for, and for listeners, we are married, too. So this <laughs> yeah, is like... Yes. Uh, this is a thing that we do as like a couple is that we podcast together. So I, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's kind of my favorite thing about it. It's that it gives us an opportunity to just kind of hang out together and we have like a joint goal and it's just to produce a good product that we put out there. And it's something that is fun that we both enjoy mm-hmm. and um you know, we always have we always try to get really cool guests on our show, like Millie. Mm-hmm. And but every now and then, sometimes you know, podcast scheduling is a bear, and sometimes it's just impossible, and people fall through. And every now and then, we're like, "Well, let's just do one with just us." Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I feel like the two of us can just sit down and have a conversation about a movie for ninety minutes, and. We'll listen back, you know, Scott will edit them and I'll listen back later on so I can get that extra one download in our... Yeah. <laughs> Very important. I, I, I have to listen stats. off both iTunes and Spotify. Yes. But, you know, when I listen back to it, I'm like, that one was fun. Even though it was just us, I always feel like, oh, we need that third person. But when it's just the two of us, I feel like this is some really great episodes. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's so connective. And it's just like, it's... I, 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 I will remain... A spinster creep to the end of my days, but I <laughs> if I had to be with any, like I want your your relationship is the standard. So, Aww. yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you can't talk about. Arnold Schwarzenegger's black bikini briefs and commando to with I mean, the one exactly. you love forever, then it's nothing. Your relationship is bullshit. But bullshit. That's, that's the thing I really do love about your podcast, though, is that like, you know, and this is obviously it's very selfish of me to say this because it's like mm. the, the movie like we seem to be around the same age and in the yeah. movies that you guys tend to pick are things that from my childhood from right. our childhood mm-hmm. from our teen years and it's always this kind of like unexpected thing where you're like oh yeah we can like talk about like all these like great moments from dirty dancing or from you mm-hmm. know something like that and you know, in that way that you guys talk about them as gay men, in that in that way that's like, you know, maybe I didn't experience as a straight woman, you know, growing right. up. So it's that it's it's awesome, but it tends to be like sort of the same moments almost, yeah. you know, of like, <laughs> remember when this happened? And then, you know, we both go, Oh, amazing. Yes. So it's I appreciate that about the podcast. Yeah. There there was just something about movies in the eighties and the nineties. It was just something in the sauce that was just equaled sexual awakening for yeah. every kid of that mm-hmm. age. Yes. We should probably should not have been watching these movies. They were kind, no. kind of aimed at us, but then kind of not. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's just this generation of people that just have these shared experiences. And it's this thing that I always thought growing up, I am the only weirdo watching my recorded off of TNT you know, Death Becomes Her a million times. A movie that was not made for a 12-year-old boy. You know, what? all the 12-year-old boys in my class were not like, yeah, Meryl Streep is so funny and Death Becomes Her. But like, I'm sitting at home just like, what is this purple chiffon, double-breasted yeah. fantasy that she's wearing with a backwards head? I mean, siempre viva, live forever. <laughs> Is all I have to say to that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but and, it wasn't until I was kind of an adult that I was like, oh, wait, like, y'all watch that movie too? And we're kind of obsessed mm-hmm. with those two, like, 
crazy ladies in it. <laughs> yes. yes. And it's also like, it's it's a weird, it's a real, it's, to me, it's a real marker of taste because I feel like if you loved those movies as a kid, you'd probably yeah. have a really good sense of humor now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like both about the world and yourself. So I feel like, yeah, like you, you are definitely like finding your tribe in more ways than yeah. one uh, totally. when we talk about mm-hmm. these, these weird movies that we definitely should not have been watching. No. <laughs> No. Why we would they make no it? They put, they put just one of the guys on HBO after school every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every day, just boobs. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. All the damn time. Like, Teen Witch? No. There, mm-hmm. She is doing very questionable things in that movie. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I always go to just sort of the movie that I always gravitate to. And you always, as gay men, you always get the question, when did you know you were gay? Which is a pretty, like... It always kind of rolls my eyes, but I always think of watching Overboard as a child. Yeah. A movie that <laughs> is has all sorts of crazy <laughs> 80s nonsense in it. But yeah. I always remember watching it back to back with Lost Boys because our, ta- our tape was Lost Boys <laughs> Overboard, Edward Herman double feature. And Thank there's you. that moment in Overboard with Kurt Russell where they're standing in Goldie's closet and you see him wearing the tank. And that mm-hmm. it's like forever radicalized me, and I was never the same after. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you can keep Escape from New York. That is the Kurt Russell moment for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he, I'm like, he's building things and he wants his dream as a mini golf course. Where does this man exist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's disgusting a little. He's a little bit disgusting. He's like, a little this gross. Is still my I'm type. Okay with it. Who knew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That shack that they lived in out in the woods. Yeah. I'll take it. Yep. We'll take it. <laughs> just filled just filled with children. Just filled it, with filthy children. <laughs> filled with disgusting children. And <laughs> anim- feral animals everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> it was dreamlike. It, it showed yeah. us a different way of, of living and just something to aim for, truly. Cause like I said, that Absolutely. is still the, t- the 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 type for me. Give me a gross man <laughs> and a shack in the ca- and you would think they would be boundless, that they would just be everywhere. A gross man <laughs> in a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Shockingly hard to find. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I honestly think for for this question that we got in the mailbag in particular, because oh, there's man. like a couple things going on. Number one, it's like a fuck Mary Kill question, which again we are obsessed with we love answering yes. these and people will write in with like the weirdest things like not people but sometimes products and we answer them all we don't care they're so fun <laughs> um but that also it's like seasonal right because halloween is just around the corner mm-hmm. and i feel like the this is like sort of our genre maybe and so i'm excited I'm excited to see what all of you have to say about, about <laughs> yes. these. i'm really excited yeah um I'm going to read the question. Yes, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to read it. And what I'll do is, uh, they gave us three rounds because this person truly cares for us. (laughs) So I will read the whole email and I will lay out the rounds one by one. So we will not, you will be surprised by each round. Okay. So this question is from Sam, who uses he, him pronouns. And Sam says, hey, y'all, love the pod and love listening to y'all laugh and have fun with each other. Now, I'm listening to the newest episode, and at the beginning, y'all are talking about horror movie characters in the gym, and it was truly one of the funniest things I've heard in a while. It then made me think that I now have to send in a very important FMK. 
As we approach the Halloween season, I felt it was only necessary to send these. So here we go. And then he's, we're, we'll, we'll skip this rounds. We'll skip the rounds. And Sam ends the email with, thanks for keeping me entertained and getting me more into movies than I used to be. While I have not watched every movie you've covered, I've definitely watched more than I thought I would. I also love your caffeinated episodes when you're all, when you all are just on a new level. <laughs> You're the only one. Shit. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yours, Sam. So, Sam, thank you for making our day. Thank you for this kind email. You truly get us. And um, for round one, I think we should let, I think we're going to let our guests go first for all, right. yes. for all of these rounds. There are three yeah. important rounds, okay? Round one Buck Mary Kill, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. Damn. Yeah. All right. So All right. Uh, this is a good one. Scott, do you want to take it? And sure. Go after you. So okay. me, fuck Michael Myers, because I'm pretty sure that Michael is probably shredded under those coveralls. <laughs> That's, what yeah. That's what we I said. I bet he has a crazy ripped body, like can probably compete on American Gladiator. So yeah. Like, uh, fuck Michael isn't Myers. Is it true, too, that, like, I don't know if I, this is, please, Halloween people, do not come at me, because I'm, I'm just, right. this is from sheer remembering, and I could be wrong, that the original Michael Myers was actually, like, kind of smaller, and then the new Michael Myers is, like, yeah. fucking huge, yeah. like, yeah. eight mm-hmm. feet tall. So, yeah, I think if we're going to go on that metric, he's fucking stacked, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we could break this down into levels. Are you fucking 70s, 80s? That's Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the very first Halloween, yeah. he's supposed to be like 22. So mm-hmm. it's like, right. all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go straight with like the probably the original Michael from 1978. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Jason. I mean, yeah. Jason's a mama's boy. Although would it turn into like a monster in law situation? I don't know. So Mary Jason, (laughs) like, I mean, spend some time at at scenic camp Crystal Lake could be worse. Um, Kill Freddy just because I really don't have time for especially Freddy from the later movies of just what a fucking like smart ass he is. Oh, my God. That Shecky Green shit. He's got to (laughs) go. And you get the creepy element of like killing children. You got to go. Yep. I approve of these choices. Now, this might be grounds for divorce, but I am dying all right. <laughs> All right. These are so. Yeah, these we're, are we're trying to trying to gauge what what this will be between the two of you as a married couple. I'm curious. This could have, this could have been a, a wedding shower game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna and I'm gonna fuck Jason, man, because I'm here <gasps> for I'm okay. here for an intense lay. Right? I, look, because I, I I respect it. I respect it. A machete will probably be involved. Yep. You know, I, I'm also saying that most Jasons are played by stuntmen, very, yeah. very large uh professional wrestler types. So Jason's, you know, there's there's some he's 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 built like a tree in some of those. Mm-hmm. I love it. And you know, I'm gonna marry Freddie because in the long run, he is gonna be there with the jokes. <gasps> okay. Oh my God! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Freddie's coming in with the jokes. He's, keep, he's keeping it fresh. The two of us every night we're watching television, just talking shit on everybody that we see. You know, you're gonna help him with the stand up at like at like the comedy store. Yeah, I'm getting his yeah. tight five mm-hmm. ready. You know, and I think Freddie at the end of the day is just kind of like a bitchy queen, and we can just sit around and just like talk shit. <laughs> 
So I'm here with that. <laughs> I never considered Freddie was a bitchy queen. I know. That is interesting. I never I never considered that. <laughs> that has changed my life to think yeah. of Freddy Krueger as a bitchy queen. <laughs> oh, He's just always after those girls. He's just jealous. Yes. <laughs> but that means you're 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 gonna kill Michael Myers? I'm killing Michael Myers. I feel like if the other choices are to fuck or to marry him, he's very single-minded in his quest, you know, for true. Mm-hmm. For Laurie Strode. He's not talking. I mean, Jason's not talking either, but I I don't know. I feel like definitely not marrying him. And it's if it's the intense lay, I feel like Jason's gonna be the bigger you know, pro wrestler, bodybuilder type. Mm. Kane Hodder, I think is his name. Kane Hodder is just a big tree of a man. So I'm going in that direction. So those are, so those are mine. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely love this more than I thought I even would. And I thought I would love it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Daniel, what is yours? I'm curious now. I mean, truly, Millie and I are usually very different different on we these. have different these, goals especially when it yeah. comes to the f we have different there goals we go all right now these, these some of these have sent million to therapy but we're going to you know <laughs> work through it together <laughs> some of her answers is to her in the therapy not mine yes i am all right i'll do it in order fuck i'm gonna fuck michael myers because he's slow but he gets the job done and that's what you want sometimes uh-huh. there you go yeah. With a good fuck. Yeah. Like, a little <laughs> slow. He's not rushing. He's not rushing anywhere. Plus, he's he's got that one, he just has one jumpsuit that he just unzips or whatever. And that's oh, practical. Also, <laughs> yeah. do a Google search of sexy Michael Myers fan art fan because art. you will you will not like you will not be disappointed. <laughs> I will also not sleep ever again. No, yeah. <laughs> But yes, I'm I'm gonna fuck Michael Myers. I think I agree that he's he's probably a little bit built, but like he's like he's built like like a swimmer or like a like a speed walker. Like I don't, he's not like mm-hmm. you know squeaky muscles built because I can't handle too many <laughs> muscles. Like mm. he doesn't squeak, so I'm like all right, I can. But he's slow. He gets the job done. I'm fucking Michael Myers. Yeah, I am going to also marry Freddy Krueger. <laughs> simply because Jesus. <laughs> he's he's out all the time when I'm asleep he's in dreams there you I can go. get a good night's sleep he's oh, out yeah. every night that <laughs> motherfucker is gone I got the whole bed to myself and then he, he comes home and he's just telling jokes and singing songs and dancing <laughs> I mean I gotta do it I got I, the, the marriage is gonna work there has to be some levity and I have to be able to get a good night's sleep there you go. I like how your metric for marriage is how far away this guy can be when yeah. you're sleeping. <laughs> Absolutely. How, how little time you spend yeah. with each other. He works at night. I don't have to deal with him. Fuck it. You know. Crucial. Then he comes home in the day and he's tired from all the killing and the popping up in bathtubs and all that shit. And I'm like, I'm going to work. Bye. Perfect marriage. Love it. And I Holy have shit. to kill Jason Voorhees because, and this might be controversial, he's pretty fucking boring. Sure. I think he's one yeah, of the more there's boring. Not a lot there. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a lot there. What am I working with? Like he's obsessed about one event in his childhood. You can't, you can't <laughs> fuck or marry that guy. You gotta <laughs> kill him. I <laughs> have fucked that guy. Yeah, you can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> I can't fuck Fair the enough. obsessed over one thing from my past guy. <laughs> oh, oh so my yeah, gosh, I can't do it. So Fair I'm killing enough. Jason Voorhees, Millie. <laughs> this is wow. Lay it on us. Okay, here here's the deal. 
I, I don't like to do this often because I respect the rules of the FMK. Right. Okay. But in this extremely specific instance, in this round, I have to do it like this. I would fuck and marry Jason Voorhees. No, you got to choose. Uh-uh. <laughs> I Hell can't. No. Not with guests in this house. You're not oh. pulling this shit. <laughs> Listen, Michael Myers can be like a groomsman or something. I like, <laughs> here's my problem. <laughs> Jason Voorhees as a character is so hot to me that I could not just like fuck him and not be in a relationship with him. Do you understand okay. what I'm saying? Like, I do. He I seems to be, I like a guy who seems to be into sports. Look at that hockey mask. I'm like, okay, he looks <laughs> yeah. like he's into sports. He's been into like, you know, like a dick sporting goods in his life. So that's pretty cool. And the fit. I just love that. Like, what is it? Like a, like a, a green army jacket over like a yeah. tight mm-hmm. t-shirt and some some nasty jeans. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Look, this, like- this does make total sense to me because Dirtbag is high on your list. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's, so it I does cannot, make sense. And honestly, I have to break this rule because they just, I would marry him too. That's the problem. <laughs> I want to be with him. Not just sexually, but forever. So, Mom, he only kills sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I would just have to kill Freddy because I just, uh, he talks too much and I just, I'm like, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm right there with you. Like a little desperate, a little desperate for a laugh. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm thinking about that. And then I feel bad for Michael Myers because I have no, no disrespect. I, you know, may, I'd maybe hit it a couple times, but I just don't feel yeah. the passion for him as much as Jason. So I, I mean, again, respect, but I cannot believe with guests in, in this house, <laughs> you so egregiously broke the rule right out of the gate. I know, I know. And I and I should have just I should have just did it, but I couldn't. And I apologize. No. I promise I'm not going to do it again. That's just this okay. one caveat for this round. Excellent. And okay. and I know this is question. I know that round is the therapy round. So I will <laughs> give that to you. Why do I want to fuck and marry Jason Voorhees? Please help me. <laughs> yeah, speed dial that woman right now. I need to talk to her. Uh, that oh was my God. excellent. And look, it's only going to get better from here. Yes. Oh, with yeah. these choices. Oh, yeah. So round two is the OGs. <laughs> fuck, Mary kill. Frankenstein. Dracula, the Wolfman. Oof, oof, oof. All right. Take it away, Scott. Um, I'm going to marry Dracula because, I mean, <laughs> property rich, lives in a beautiful <laughs> castle in Transylvania. Um, I mean, he would cross oceans of time to find me. Like, he's very <laughs> romantic. Um, probably knows really how to treat a lady. So I'm going to marry Dracula. Sharp mm. dresser. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna probably say fuck Wolfman because I I bet that it would be a good time. I bet that it would be pretty wild. I might have a few scratch marks the next day, but I mean, uh-huh. I think that I would be into it. <laughs> You'd have a story. Hmm. I mean, probably kill Frankenstein. Like, no particular reason why, but I mean, <laughs> if I had if I had to like weigh those options, gonna kill Frank. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's incredible. This is already. Already incredible. I, I I agree and respect so much the property richness of Dracula being <laughs> the major yeah. draw. Property rich, yep. <laughs> Even if it's in Transylvania, we don't care. He owns no. a castle, guys. We're yeah. adults. These are the he, decisions we have to make now. 
He's very opulent. He has a very opulent lifestyle compared to the mm-hmm. others. So. Opulence. Solid. <laughs> Peter? I love opulence. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I am going to fuck Dracula. <laughs> okay. And let me tell you why. Uh, you know, he will, he will just hypnotize you. It will just be, again, very intense, very hypnotic, and I feel like it would probably be such a good night that I don't even mind that he kills me at the end. Just yeah. murder me at the end. I mean, hopefully he turns you into a vampire at the very end. Or, yeah, he oh. could turn me into, you know. Best case. Yeah, best case. I could be one right. of his, his his multiple brides wandering around he, he, he could make you one of those, um, like, nymphs that live on the ceiling. There you go. Suck all the blood out of Keanu Reeves. (laughs) So you got to be real specific at the end. Like, kill me or turn me into a vampire. There you go. (laughs) But at any any rate, me and Dracula are getting down. Um, I'm going to marry Frankenstein because Hmm. I think he'd be a very devoted spouse. I think Frankenstein would just be very caring. Um, He's tall, so that's helpful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. He can get things off of high shelves for Mm -hmm. me. Being yes. a, mm-hmm. a short person. Um, so I think he would just be very devoted. As long as I, you know, keep the fires in the house to a minimum, I think Frankenstein would just be a very, uh, you know, a good a good spouse. And uh, the Wolfman I'm <laughs> killing uh, just because the Wolfman I'm killing. We have three cats. I just don't need. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not going to get along. I don't need any more shedding. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I am vacuuming yeah. so many times a day. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. The, the, <laughs> the shedding situation, I cannot. There's not a Roomba that has been no. created that can handle a wolfman shedding. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that pelt. No, I don't want to have to deal with the pelt. <laughs> so he's out of here. These are all These, great choices. <laughs> again, illuminating, fascinating. I'm in love. <laughs> Danielle, what are your All choices? Right. I have to know. All right. So I'm actually going to fuck Wolfman. I love a hirsute man. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm not afraid of it. Um, and I do not want to hang out with him for very long. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like it's a fucking run situation. And I don't care if it's as the as Wolfman or as human dude, like whichever one. I just don't want to be there when the change happens. So like you have to choose first. But I don't fuck him. I think he's. I think he's fun. I think he'll be like aggressive in a fun way. Um, he might throw me up in a tree. Like I don't know where I'm going to end up after that that session. I'm into it. Um, I am going to marry Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Shocking no one because what he's quiet. We know this is a prerequisite. He doesn't have. He's not a malicious killer. He's a reactionary killer. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I feel go. like he would just kind of like be fine just bumbling around the house and learning how to read. Like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't require much. He'll sit down and watch the real housewives. He doesn't understand what the fuck's going on. He's just happy to have a meal and a place to lay down and he's going to be thrilled by electricity. The fire is contained. Like just a quiet bumbling oaf of a man. <laughs> yeah. I will marry that dude. And I got to kill Dracula because he's too much. Dracula's doing too much all the time. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. sleeping in a fucking crate in dirt being shipped all over the goddamn place. Who do you think's making those arrangements? Me. <laughs> I ain't arranging to ship his fucking coffin ass all over this world oh. every time I want to go on vacation. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm definitely not marrying him. 
Yeah. And I don't want to fuck him because he's too much. He's like one of those guys that like has a whole routine before he even can get down. You're like, you don't have to like take a shower and put on cologne and yeah. fucking pumice your feet <laughs> and fucking moisturize your goddamn hundred year old skin. Like, let's just do it. Take off your rings and let's get down. The jewels. Yeah. The jewels. <laughs> Holy shit. So I gotta kill him simply, simply because it's too involved. Yeah, too involved. Wow, the, literally the best reasons for any of your choices I've ever heard. I think through every every episode that we've ever done, that was like the most thought out and succinct reasoning behind yeah. behind your FMK. So I just have to say that I I, I can't I can't really disagree, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, show, show me. Where's the lie? Where, where is, is the lie? The, you yeah. want to get caught up in that cape every night? You can't marry Dracula. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can't sleep next to that fucking cloak. You'd be like, dude, you're literally suffocating me. Not only just physically, su- like you're actually suffocating me with your jewels and your cloak and your lace. <laughs> pretty, like you'll never wear sweats. And I can't, I can't be with someone who will never wear sweats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, Millie... Oh God! You're gonna do it traditional. This, uh, yeah, no, no, I'm not going off script. No, uh, yeah. this is hard because I don't know. I keep going back and forth between at least two of them. But all right, here's what I'll do. I'm I begrudgingly say this, but I would fuck Dracula. I don't know why. <laughs> I just. <laughs> Like, I feel like we've all fucked Dracula at one point in our lives. Like, somebody sure. like Dracula, who's very, like, is into, like, you know, uh, he was very flowery in the language department and is, like, you know, probably, like, a college guy in your English mm-hmm. class. That's uh, a Dracula. Yes. Yeah. Listen to a lot of typo negative. Yes. <laughs> a romantic picnic in a graveyard. Uh, we've, yes. already, we've already fucked that guy. That's fine. That's fine. Yes, it's got like Peter Murphy lyrics tattooed on the body somewhere. No. It's just I so to me it wasn't like out of this like deep passion to fuck Dracula, but it was like, well, I just know what that's like. So it's not going to be like a thing. Okay? Sure. I love that your comfort fuck is Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to pause there for a moment and really under really sit in that moment. Your comfort <laughs> fuck is Dracula. <laughs> I am also going to therapy immediately after this round. Okay. Um, Well, because here's the thing. I would marry Wolfman. And because I think he he and I would look the best together, maybe. Like in photos. I just feel like we look like the best match as a couple than than all the others, right? That's really sweet. And... And then I would kill Frankenstein. And I'm not, like, thrilled to kill Frankenstein, but I also, like, didn't want to fuck Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of in the yeah. same yeah same boat with mine. I feel like he would have, like, I feel like Frankenstein would be, like, the not showing any emotions guy. It would be, like, a really long session. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, this feels, like, dispassionate somehow. And he, so I guess he's got to die. I guess he's got to die. So... <laughs> Those are my he choices. Would, he would be the most likely to have like whiskey dick as like oh, just a yeah. permanent condition. Absolutely. Yeah. And then just like <laughs> fall asleep on you and you're like, come on, really? By the way, yeah. legit, no lie. I was Googling pictures of Frankenstein as I was choosing in my head just now. And I was mm. like, oh yeah, the Herman Munster. I was like, no, nah, that can't be a fuck. That just can't be a fuck. Like, so that's what really did it. <laughs> 
Herman Munster was the. It's the image of Fred Gwynn, a fucking Fred Gwynn <laughs> as Frankenstein. I was like, no. Just shaking, shaking his little head side to side. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I, so I have, I, have a, I have a question. And yes. do we think that there are listeners right now just fuming steam coming out of their ears because we are constantly referring to him as Frankenstein? The yeah. monster. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yep. We lost mm-hmm. half the listeners immediately. They, someone crashed their car screaming, <laughs> it's the monster! <laughs> yeah, there's 35 e- emails in our inbox right now. The, ha- the episode hasn't even really got going yet. And there's yeah. already people like, fuck you guys. <laughs> um, actually. I yeah. listen to every episode until. Yeah. <laughs> I have canceled my Wondery Plus subscription. Yeah. <laughs> Right now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Shit. But but guess what? Now we got him. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Turn the tables just with that conversation. You're like, oh, you think we didn't know? Guess what? We already been new. We already been known. <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> now, this round is going to ruin Millie's life. I oh just my, know yeah, it. This, this yeah. round is wild. <laughs> The, the the listener actually writes in parentheses the weirdest ones I could think of, and truly <laughs> out of this world. Yeah, this this is the kind of thing that that Sam I feel like also made you number one in my heart. Yes, because when I read this, I lost my mind for about five minutes. Um, round three, fuck Mary kill, Leatherface, Chucky, the Blob. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, all right. Did you want to go first I, on this one? I, I, yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know nobody wants to go first. Everyone's like, uh. I'll t- yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. So um, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to say right off the bat that I'm probably going to fuck the blob. <laughs> <laughs> I would like for that to be my ringtone right now. <laughs> I need that as a sound drop in future episodes. <laughs> Casey, oh, do it goodness. now. And let oh, me tell God. you why. <laughs> I feel like the the blob, as he is just fully engulfing your entire body, your entire form, then maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's some sort of full body... Oh, going on. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the blob. Well, what's tricky about the blob is that it's different from the thing because the thing can sort of take on the form yeah, yeah, of yeah. something else. Yeah. But no, the blob is yeah. just the blob, the big blob of jelly. <laughs> just and gross. Just eats yeah. and gross. <laughs> is, it, is it disintegrating me as we're doing? I don't know. But, you know, if it's if it's the last thing that I do... Hell of a way to go. Maybe <laughs> fucking the blob is a hell of a way to go. So, yeah. Um, also, because I really didn't want to fuck or marry Leatherface. Because that's just beyond gross. <laughs> Which means I'm marrying Chucky. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. But again, but again, like my man... <gasps> Fred Krueger, Chucky's coming in with the jokes. And right. so, you know, at, at the end of the day, when it's, let's just sit down and watch a movie. And Him make, and Tiffany are very on and off again. That, that's, true. Yeah. that's true. That's yeah. true. So it's yeah. like, we, you know, 
he, he could get tired of me and like take off for a while and then we're like on the outs. But I, I feel <laughs> like in the long run, if it does become like an old married couple situation, you know, and I'm like preparing our like nightly dinner box like recipes, <laughs> you know, and he's just in the other room just watching 600 pound life. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely like a reality TV show guy. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's that thing, like I said, with Freddie, where he's just so we can sit down and we can hate all of the same things. And, you know, he's probably just like, I can see him being like a cool guy, like wanting to go out to like, you know, if we want to go out to like the bars, you know, we hit up the Eagle or something. And like, yeah, he's like little Chucky's down for like. You love a good shit talker too. Yeah, I do. And yeah. Chucky, yeah. Chucky has like loves to. I mean, I'm usually the shit talker, yeah. but so I'll let him, you know. But he'll gossip. Could, he'll gossip we, with you. Yeah. We yeah. could go to like the Halloween haunt at Universal Studios every year. Like that's always, he'd be like VIP status. Oh, so yeah. So it's like front of the line for all the oh, mazes. Yeah. So I would definitely use Chuck. <laughs> and he would be like just scare the hell out of like children everywhere we went. So I, li- I like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like Leatherface is so disgusting. <laughs> like, there's no, there's nothing redeeming. Like, I couldn't even bring myself to be like, I guess we'll get married. No. <laughs> solid answer. Solid. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, so Scott, what do you what do you got? Tell us. Uh, um, tell us I got to fuck the blob, too, because I just want to see how that is going to go down. Kevin Dillon can join. It's so funny to me? It's just like, I just fucked the blob. I would just fuck the blob. <laughs> just Kevin very, Dillon, like, matter of fact, Kevin like, come Dillon. on. Kevin Dillon in there. Yep. <laughs> throw Kevin Dillon in there and uh, oh, I, I guess it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I kind of had to change mine and I am also going to marry Chucky. You're going to marry and Chucky? And I'm wow. going to say this. I'm going to marry Chucky and it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a little polyamorous okay. with Tiffany. With Tiffany. I like oh, it. I feel like wow. Tiffany and I would really hit it off. <laughs> you guys would click. Wow. I, would, like, I think sister we would wives. really click so we could sort of Absolutely. be sister wives with Chucky. And also, <laughs> like, I, I love Jennifer Tilly. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then, um, yeah, kill Leatherface. Oh, I, And wow. also, like, I don't want to marry him because then you'd have to move into the farmhouse and no. the family <laughs> situation. The flies. It's just too yeah, much. Yo, the marrying into the, that yeah. family would yeah. suck so and bad. Then you're, and then you're living in Texas. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> the heat. <gasps> It's okay. Most, most of our listeners are in Estonia. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, we have a lot of, like, we're huge and, you know, Burkina Faso for, yeah. <laughs> if they haven't already turned off because we kept saying Frankenstein instead of Frankenstein's monster, they certainly will now. Yeah. After, <laughs> exactly. After us blatantly hating Leatherface's family from Texas. So, <laughs> well, um, my fuck Mary Kill is I'm just gonna come right out the gate and and fuck you guys completely up because I am gonna fuck Leatherface. Yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Listen, I love a story. <laughs> I love a story. I love having a good story to tell friends sure. around the bar. And that is going to be some twisted shit. Yeah. <laughs> he will introduce me to things that maybe I don't want to be introduced to, but I'm going to find out about some shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you definitely can't marry him. Like you said, you cannot marry into that entire family unit. No. Yeah. But I don't think he deserves to die. I think he's, I think if you take the, the skin suit away, 
he's very jaunty. <laughs> like, <Sure>. he's very <laughs> focused. Okay. And- <laughs> He's focused and he has a lot of passion. Yeah. You know? Okay. So sure. I feel like yeah. I'll, I'll fuck Leatherface. I'll give it a shot. Don't want to hang out. <laughs> but I'll fuck him. Get the hell out of there. Maybe on a road trip. He's like a road trip fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Um, I see that. I am going to marry the blob. <laughs> <laughs> because what is better than a relationship where you can just plan a path of destruction around the world? Yeah. I mean, that is just so in- intricately fascinating to me. Like, I will never be bored with the blob. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it does. I don't know how it does it. But I know when he fucking wraps himself around that house, that shit's going down. And I'm just going to be so entertained. <laughs> you can set the blob loose on an enemy. Somebody fucks with you at work. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. My my partner's coming. And it's the blob. You got to go. <laughs> You cut me off in traffic. My blob partner is just going to be all, now I have your car and your bones. I love it. <laughs> dissolved. I'm very excited. Just dissolved. Yeah. I am. You are now part of me. You are now blob. <laughs> very, very exciting to me. And I'm going to kill Chucky because Chucky is a straight up psycho. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot true. with that. At this point in my life, I cannot handle that energy. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot handle the energy. I don't want to deal with the, with the weird X. I don't want to deal with the... <laughs> I don't want to deal with the fact that he's kind of in a child body. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like, it's going to be a little weird. Just, it's going to yeah. be a little weird. So I feel like he's just... he's He comes in too hot, so he's got to go. Yeah, he definitely got a mouth. Yeah. That's for sure. He's oh got a real God. mouth on him. So, yeah. I'm fucking Leatherface. I'm marrying the blob, and I'm killing Chucky. <laughs> well... To bring up the caboose of this epic, (laughs) epic email from Sam. Incredible. This has been like the thought experiment and all thought experiments. I'm obsessed. Guess what? Danielle, we have the exact same list. What? What? (laughs) Both Pete and I matched up and you you two matched up. Love it. Exactly. I mean, it's like fucking Leatherface because it's like, whatever. Like he, like, Body wise, I'm like, yeah, I, that's that's good. Like we talked about this in the gym episode where I like a power lifter, and he's a, he's a power lifting ambler, and that is sexually attractive to me. So there's that. And then marrying the blob, quite frankly, for the same reasons Danielle literally yes. said, just like this mass that just surrounds the house. Like we love it. And then Chucky. <laughs> Yeah, that mouth. I couldn't I couldn't take it. <laughs> Plus, he seems like he kind of seems like a dude that would like pop onto like Reddit and like troll people and shit. Oh, like he's kind of oh, got yeah. this mean streak to him, kind of like yeah. a he's a little bit of an edge lord, maybe. And I'm like, uh, not not in this <laughs> not in this economy. Not in this economy. So <laughs> Okay, so what did we learn wow. today? Chucky is an edge lord and Freddy Krueger is a bitchy queen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Holy Absolutely. shit. I hope that's the title of the episode. <laughs> Solid takeaway. Yes. It is now. It is now. <laughs> this has literally been the funniest, like, oh the God. funniest mailbag. At one point, you can see me right now. I had to take my glasses off because I was crying. From, I was laughing Weeping. so hard I was crying. And then I was like, let me just take my glasses off because this is just going to keep, yeah. keep happening. So... 
I've so enjoyed this. I lo- how, how how do you feel about your answers? How do you feel about? I love that our last answers were matched up in terms of <laughs> our pairings. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It felt natural and real. I mean, I'm on living spaces at the moment, picking out furniture for when I move into Dracula's castle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Property rich Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Well, listen, Scotty and Pete, I am obsessed with you guys. I am so happy you (laughs) Uh, made time for us here. Likewise. Um, Why don't you tell people where they can find you on like social media and all that stuff? Yes, indeed. Uh, Our podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And on socials, we're at Movies That Made Us Gay on um, Instagram and uh, Facebook, we're still running on that. And mm. on Twitter, we are at MTMUG Pod. Yes, MTMUG Pod on Twitter. And um, yeah, so just uh, episodes look us up come out every Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we wait for them. It is the highlights <laughs> of my week. And I truly, I just feel so lucky and happy and like fangirly that we got to talk to you. I just feel very... That that means so much. (laughs) Yeah, same here. We're very, very glad to be on your show. This Mm -hmm. is a highlight for us. You have to come back. The next, we're going to start now getting all of the strangest FMKs in the world. You have to come back. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. Sam, also, thank you, Sam, for that um, incredible fuck, marry, kill question. Um, and if you have questions for us, please email us at I saw what you did pot at gmail.com. Sometimes they come to the main feed and we have a blast. So absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Scotty oh. and Pete. Thanks, we Scotty. really, really appreciate Thank it. You. It was so fun. Okay. Oh, Danielle. Oh my gosh. Just the best time with those two. Super fun. My stomach hurts. I want them to adopt me or just be friends with me. <laughs> like, whichever comes first. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that was so nice for them to come by and just truly brighten up our lives. Not even just yeah. our day, just our lives. Yeah, uh, that was a blast. Well, and here's the weird part. that is, It is kind of like a smooth transition to our theme this week, if you think about it, right? It really is. And our theme this week is... Fuck movies where no one fucks. Ha! So, I have to tell people what this this is about. Because this was essentially all Danielle. And she didn't even know it. She didn't even know it. So, when we did our episode a while back, when she, we talked about Wong Kar Wai, right? And she talked about In the Mood for Love. I mean, she was basically, refer- she referenced this concept, which is that it's a fuck movie where no one fucks, right? Yep. And I became obsessed with that idea. And I was like, why don't we just do an entire theme around it? Because certainly there are other movies that are fuck movies where no one fucks, right? Like, Absolutely. A romantic situation in which the characters are attracted and are wanting uh, a relationship or some kind of sexual encounter, but can't for no one's different reasons. It. Yeah. No one can get there. I, I, I'm so glad you explained that because I, I remember saying it, could not for the fucking life of me remember when or in what context. Because <laughs> that is how my brain works now. I'm like, what did I say? When? All right. I believe you. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> Luck, luckily, I, I put a pin in it because I was like, that's brilliant. And I'm just, I'm so glad that we could actually do an episode about it too. Because th- these two movies are pretty different. 
I would say. They're very um, different. Yeah. And but they and they come to the point too in different ways, which I think is really interesting. Your, but your movie, I hadn't seen in a while, and I decided to like buy the Blu-ray. I was like, fuck it. It came nice. out on Criterion Blu-ray. Let me get into it. And it's man, it it brought back so many memories of childhood. It was awesome. This is like it's so true. Like, this is also one of those films that I remember watching as a kid and not quite getting. Yeah. Like I watched it and I'm like, mm, this is like a movie for my grandma. And she was rolling. Like she was laughing her ass off. And I'm like, eh. And yeah. then I watched it when I was a teenager and I'm like, oh, I get it. Now that mm. I have feelings and emotions, I get it. Uh-huh. And I just, I come back to it time and time again, whenever I can. I also own it. And um, I just love it. It's just such a wonderful, comforting film about adults. And sometimes it's just what you need. Yeah. And I'll get into it when I start talking about the film in general, but there are so many incredible lines in this movie that it makes me really sit up and pay attention also as a writer. So I think it's just like, it's one of those movies that you can find something new in it every time you watch it, but at its foundation, it is just a fucking great film. Yeah, well, hell, get into it. You're going first this week, so. Oh, okay, why not? (laughs) 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 my movie was released in 1987 it was written and directed by james l brooks my movie is broadcast news i am beginning to repel people i'm trying to seduce wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive if needy were a turn on now, much like Wong Kar Wai, I feel like this movie is a handshake movie for me. If you mm. can't fuck with broadcast news, I can't fuck with you. Mm. Mm. It is so good. And this is now James L. Brooks, as we all know, James L. Brooks, James Hell Brooks, <laughs> helped to bring us The Simpsons. <laughs> Amongst many, 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 many other sh- shows and movies. Yeah. He's had an illustrious and long career. Um, which would be impossible to recap here. Um, But he simply brought us The Simpsons, helped to bring us The Simpsons, and is forever cemented in history for that reason. Yeah. This movie is, has an unfuckwithable cast. Yeah. And this is, this movie was made at a time when adults looked like, everyone looked middle-aged. Yep. Everyone looked tired. Everyone, like, there was no, you're not going to find a Sean, Sean Mendez. <laughs> you're not going to find a, a Camila Cabello being like, I'm an adult. I'm working at this journalistic job. Like, no. These are people who look like they woke up in a toilet and put on whatever was nearest and they cry spontaneously and then they <laughs> go to work and do their fucking jobs and that's their life. Like, it is... At its core, I love it for that alone. Yeah. And again, the cast, unfuckwithable. So you've got William Hurt, rest in peace, King. Oh, I know. Playing Tom Grunick. Albert Brooks plays Aaron Altman. And Holly Hunter plays Jane Craig. Um, We also have some honorable mentions like Joan Cusack, Queen of Our Hearts. And weirdly, Jack Nicholson, who's very underplayed in this film. Yeah, I I almost forgot. Actually, I didn't almost. I completely forgot he was in it. Yeah, me it. too. Yeah, and he's like the main anchor at this station because the the premise of the film. I'll give you my one sentence. My my one sentence synopsis. Mm. Um, three 
journalists at varying degrees of success have their lives intersect at a local TV station where all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is very much, again, like at its heart, it's a, it's a movie about news. It's a movie about journalism. And I love the opening of this film because it's, it starts out kind of showing you how our three main characters are exactly who they've always been. Yeah. So you've got Tom, the William Hurt character, who's like, the hot dummy and he has been the hot dummy since he, the day he was born oh my god Th that is my favorite part of the movie by the way it's like at the very beginning when they sh show you how these people became these people and his <laughs> is the best because it's very hard to communicate why like uh how like a hot dummy himbo type becomes a hot dummy himbo type and they did it really well they did it world. perfectly. He's yeah. kind of lamenting it. Like he's, and he does that his whole life as well. Like he really laments the fact that he's like so good looking that he just gets shit, that he just fails <laughs> upward all day long. And he's like, man, I wish I could be smart. And everyone around him is like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, well, are you kidding me? You are living the life. Get into it. Just You're not going to ever be smart, but you have everything that everyone wants. Um, so I love that. And then Albert Brooks is is the guy who um, he graduated early from high school and like had a like an intense speech where he kind of like vilifies everyone and gets beat up afterwards. And yeah, just like a, kind of a shithead, but also just like a sweet little little nudge. Like he's just kind of a, an, an annoying little sweet little piece like pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, and Holly Hunter, who plays Jane, Jane Craig, has always been the most type A of type A personalities. Yeah. And is just like focused and um, she's very direct. And <laughs> she's the kind of person who gives specific directions to cab drivers. She doesn't just say like, hey, make a left down. Can you take Broadway instead of this? She's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down this street. You're going to make a left. You're going to go here, make a right. She is so specific in crafting her entire life. But that makes her kind of unlikable to people. And guess yeah. what? She doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And I love this character for that. And I'll, I'll say that she doesn't give a shit on the outside, but she does have moments of introspection. Um, so she's not terribly arrogant, but she comes across as arrogant. I was reading an article in Vulture that came out in 2017 by Jen Cheney about why broadcast news and Holly Hunter's performance still resonates 30 years later. So Jen Cheney says that she's she's arrogant, but she's not she doesn't care that she's arrogant and she's not trying to be arrogant. She just yeah. kind of comes across that way because there is one of my favorite lines in this movie. Um, she's talking to her boss at his at a party at his house and a big news story's popping off. And he says, it must be nice to always believe you know better, to think you're always the smartest person in the room. Mm. And she looks at him completely seriously and says, no. It's awful. <laughs> and I love that line. And I love that scene because she's yeah, like, yeah. no, like you would think. But like it is a real burden to her to have to be so smart, so right all the time. Not even smart, just right. Yeah. I mean, she said a mouthful when she said that. Let's get serious. Holy shit. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of us can relate to her character in this film a little bit. And not for nothing, I am so glad she had her Southern accent in this movie. Yep. Our Conyers, Georgia queen, 
the queen of Rockdale County. I was like, yes. And I was so happy because for some reason it just kind of made, it made her character like a little bit, I don't know. It connected to me a little bit more, obviously, because I was like, I know she's Southern. So it's, but it's cool that she kept that accent. And I mean, part of me thinks she couldn't help it. Right. Cause that's, you know, that's just her accent. But at the same time, you know, it kind of uh, made, uh, brought me closer to her character a little bit. So. I agree because it's sweet. There's something really sweet and and charming and real about it. Yeah. Um. So I I love that too. And I think so. Th- what the thing that makes this a fuck movie where no one fucks is that it's kind of strange because there's not necessarily a love triangle happening, but shit pops off anyway. So basically, um, you have Jane who meets Tom at this conference. And they talk and it's kind of a sweet way that they talk and kind of get together. And, and it truly is just like talking about things and being excited and, and, you know, kind of talking about their jobs and their careers. And he admits that like, he was a sports anchor who got promoted to anchor by accident. And like, Mm. he's just like, again, like starting that trajectory of like, I don't know, I've just always made a lot of money and been hot. I don't know. Failing Um, upward. Yeah, exactly. Failingest, upwardest motherfucker. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is there they kind of have dinner they go back to her room but the whole time they're talking like there's not a real sexual tension between them and then they get to her room and you can tell she's trying to flirt with him but she absolutely does not know what she's doing oh. uh, but at some point in the movie she even says that like she, she hints to the fact that she can't flirt with people um and i think she says something to the effect of like every every time i try to flirt with someone um it turns into like a big discussion or something like that So they're kind of in this room and talking and the talk gets so serious because she realizes like he is the exact kind of guy that she hates. And the reason she hates him is she has a real penchant for telling real news stories and she's a producer and she's great at it. She is like an incredible producer. Um, She really gets in there. She works a lot with um, Aaron and, you know, on the, on the, you know, they go out together to like, southern america like they're just really in it together um making these great news stories and so she respects and values the news and tom admits that he genuinely doesn't even know what he's talking about he just says the words Mm. he's like i wish i understood what i was talking about when i read the news to people and she's like you are what's wrong with this country and she this movie is actually very prescient in that way because she said we're reaching a point and aaron feels the same way where who gives you the news is going to be more important than the news itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them want to live in that goddamn world. So they yeah. see Tom as like the worst. And he, they don't fuck. They do not fuck. They're in her, her hotel room. She's trying to be cute and flirty. He gets so, his feelings are so hurt. He gets up and he says, um, when he's leaving, like, I hated the way you talk to me right now. <laughs> yeah. And he leaves. And so... No, no, no sex has happened. There's this tension between them. And then he goes and calls her and says, oh, by the way, I've just been hired to work at your station. Yeah. Yeah. Like bomb drop moment. But before that, and then she's like, what the fuck? And then she's talking on the phone um, before that to Aaron because they're really good friends. And they have like a really sweet, like, you know, kind of nighttime wrap up experience together. And so she's talking to him about relationships and sex and everything, but they're also not fucking. Later in the film, when all three of them are working together, he admits that he's completely in love with her. 
Yeah. Um, mm. But even the way they talk about it and the way she kind of like lets him down and it's very sweet. And he gets to a point of real anger about it, um, but it never feels threatening. It just feels like so emotionally charged and so compromised. And yeah. you just end up feeling bad for everyone. Well, and I think of a lot of that because it could come off it, it could, in a different movie. I think it would come off as a little bit like incelly type of yeah. shit, right? But he is aware so much of how he feels and what this is. Like it's almost like he beats you to the punch. Like he's going, "God, I'm in love with you, and I don't understand why you're not in love with me, but I also get why you're not in love with me, and it's uh, kind of fine." And you're like, "Wow!" It's like that thing where you're like, "Here's a really smart guy who is having all these feelings, but he knows he's not." you know, unaware of himself. He knows who he is. And, yes. you know, he's just like, isn't it just the shittiest situation that we can't be together? But I, I can't help but feel upset, you know? There is a moment when they are sitting on the the stoop of his, his apartment and he says to her, I would give anything if you were two people so I could call my friend and tell her about the one I like so much. Oh my goodness. And it is like, a heartbreaking moment. I know. I know. And it makes total sense. Like he just, lo he loves working with her. He respects her. He values her. On paper, they should be perfect together, but it's just not there. Yeah. And that is part of the heartbreak. Like it, they should be the exact people who are together. They're both passionate in the same way. They're both, you know, they want the same things, but it's just not working. Yeah. She doesn't feel it. And you know what else is really interesting to me too is because, you know, I mean, we would understand why um, the Tom character would would find Jane attractive, but it is that moment. It, you know what it reminded me of? Not gonna lie, you're gonna have to go all the way back to episode six, folks, to hear <laughs> about this. But it reminds me of Hubble, of the Hubble Gardner yes. thing from the way we were, which is that here's a guy who has always failed upward. He's just had lived a charm life where he's never had to like, you know, be smart or do anything. He just coasts on his hotness. And he's fascinated with a woman who is extremely intelligent and bright and like knows knows a lot of things. And mm -hmm. and it's that thing of like, I think he 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 could be sexually attracted to her, but I think he's also obsessed with her her vibe and her power and her just like her essence because it's, it's yes. so not him right yes and he even so and what ends up happening because he even like admits as much when um yeah. he ends up working at this tv station um with her and he says you know i've been given this opportunity to do this this report and it's like a big deal news story yeah. and he says i want you to produce it and she walks, it's the greatest scene. Like she walks out of the building looking like Strega Nona. She's got the scarf tied around her head. She's got the coat on. She is not sauntering for anybody. She's like, it's fucking windy. I look like Strega Nona. Deal with it. Yeah. And he is so attracted to her abilities that he's almost tying himself in knots to try to understand why they can't be together. And they, they, of, of both, of both of the kind of couplings that could happen in the movie, Tom and Jane make the most of a go at it, but it's always awkward and it never works out. And there's this one scene in particular at the after the White House Correspondents' Dinner where they kind of meet up and, and go outside and have wine and they're like kissing and it's passionate. And then she, ha she leaves him to go and see Aaron because Aaron's dream is to be a broad... He's, his dream is to be an anchor. 
And he mm. gets his shot because every single person is at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and fails so hilariously. <laughs> he is sweating buckets. Like, it is the funniest fucking scene. But it is, again, heartbreaking. Yeah. And she knows that this is a big deal moment for him and this is terrible. So she goes and leaves Tom to be with him. And it's just, it's that push and pull that I love between all of them. But it's it's all centered on, the, like the push and pull is kind of centered on not a will they, won't they, but a should they. And yeah. I, I think I, I like seeing a movie like that where it's not, like you could see all of them together. Yeah. <laughs> like you could see every iteration of these couples together, but you're not sure if they should, if it should work or if they should try something different. It's a little too close. Like the world they live in is too cloistered. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of love that aspect of it. And then from this from this Vulture article that Jen Cheney wrote, one of my favorite descriptions that she gives is she says, Jane Craig is a feminist heroine in a way that few female romantic comedy protagonists since have been, even the ones we consider strong and independent. Unlike most leads in the genre, her reason for existing in the world writer-director Brooks created, which, as he tells The Ringer, was built around the notion of a feminist heroine, is not so she can find a guy. Yes, the story is grounded in a love triangle, one that places Jane as the pivot point between Tom, the slick anchorman, played by William Hurt, and Aaron, Albert Brooks, the more traditional reporter who carries a torch for her. But Jane's existence is not predicated on being in a relationship. Her first love, her true love, is her job. Yeah. I love that. I love that James Brooks wrote this movie built around the notion of a feminist heroine. Like, she's not an accident. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of watching this in 1987, it probably was very easy to have the feeling that, like, more people would do this, and it did not happen again for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, she's very complicated. I mean, and and then, you know, we've talked about, you know, sort of that whole era of the, the 80s, sort of, like, a woman, like female CEO, like, you know, head of the company Mm -hmm. type of thing. But it's hers is like a very interesting story because, you know, she's she's obviously like that role where she's just like the woman in charge. But she she also, you know, has those moments where she's literally just crying, just like crying at her own desk. You know, inexplicably it never no one ever comes in and explains it. And she never has a monologue about it. She just cries. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, and it's probably, you know, in a different movie, it may have not been wise to show that because we were trying so hard to, like, portray these women as, like, competent and smart. And, and then because of that, we go in the complete other direction and just make them, like, bitches, right? But, like, mm-hmm. we this is, like, her character is so much of, like, everything, which I think is so great, you know? It so is. Real. It's so all-encompassing, and I feel like there's never a moment where it feels like you're watching someone doing a caricature. It, there's there's something really, like, vital about her. And what I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but one of my least favorite words in modern usage in our language is unapologetic, yeah. because it presupposes that you're supposed to be apologetic about something. Right. And I love that Jane lives her life like, she's not unapologetic. She never considers apologizing for being who she is. It doesn't even cross her mind. Right. She's like, I have nothing to apologize for. 
this is who I am. This is how I live. And it's very empowering. And it's really incredible to watch because she has a full range of emotions. She's not just like the strong business bitch or the total pushover or the woman who gives it all up for love. Like she really is a fully realized character. And I think that those moments where she cries just emphasizes that more than it detracts from that. It just emphasizes the fact that like she's still in touch with herself. Yeah. But she's just not willing to give over to any one emotion at any given time. Yeah. And and in those moments where she's crying, I think it's more of just about her knowing how she is, not apologizing for it, but knowing that how she is is going to have certain outcomes. And that's just the way life is. And sometimes that just is hard. You know, it's the Absolutely. same the same concept as the Aaron character knowing in his head that he cannot change this woman's feelings about him. So everybody is like yeah. very aware of of who they are. And but just that sometimes it's just, you know, emotions and you just have to sit in them for a while and then maybe, you know, you move on, I guess. But um I love that Absolutely. about her character. So. And then and that also comes to a head, like I love that you said that, because that also comes to a head at the end, which I don't want to spoil, but the end is multi-layered. And at one point towards the end of the film, there's a betrayal. And it's really fascinating when you watch the film, if you haven't already, um, it's really fascinating to watch how each character reacts and responds to the betrayal because it says everything about them. Yeah. Everything about them in that moment. Yeah. I had also forgotten that part. Like Mm -hmm. as like after um, watching it after a certain amount of time. And I mean, it was pretty, pretty meaningful. It was like, you know, a a, a part of the movie that really changes things. So absolutely. Mm. And it's one. And again, the dialogue, I cannot tell you how much it cracks me up. Um, Albert Brooks is also a director and, you know, actor in his own right. If you haven't seen Defending Your Life, Real Life, All the Lives movies, mm-hmm. um, treat yourself. But there's there are moments in this film that even though James L. Brooks wrote it, it felt very much like an Albert Brooks thing to say. So I was yeah. curious. I didn't didn't look it up, but I wondered if he kind of ad libbed some of it. Um, one of my favorites of those lines is when he's talking on the phone to Jane and she wants to meet him, and he <laughs> he says. I'll meet you at that place near that thing where we went that one time. And then they just show up at the same place. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> and it's like the, the hilarity of that kind of sentence, but also show like it really telegraphs and showcases the shorthandness of their friendship. And it just is perfect. It's just such perfect dialogue throughout this movie. Um, and Jack Nicholson is also there sometimes. Yes, sometimes. <laughs> It's so weird. You're like, wait, he's there. He's the anchor man. Like he has his own, like, you know, he's kind of the standoffish arm's length guy. Yeah. Um, like the big, big bitch in the office. Yeah. Um, but it's just great. And Joan Cusack is such a little baby face. And the way she runs around that office could have been a movie on its own right. She is so wonderful in this, in this and every movie. I mean, the woman can't pick a bad, she, she can't do a bad job. She's just a glory. But she's so funny in this in particular. And it's really nice to see um, what mentorship looks like, like a female mm-hmm. mentorship looks like in a very male-dominated dominated space. So yeah, I love this movie. I watch it all the time. I fucking love it. And I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. Nobody fucks. Everybody wants to fuck somebody. But it yeah. is a fuck movie where nobody fucks. That's right. It's a lot of feelings, a lot of like, a lot of will they, won't they's. And it, Never happens. Also, Robert Prosky, who we just talked about in our episode about Thief, yeah. he's in it. 
he's playing a less evil person. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Ah, ah. He's not as much of a motherfucker. He's a sweetheart in this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love it. It's great cast, great film. If you have not already, by all means, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. It is available now on so many in so many places in great restored condition. So it's a classic for sure. And your movie, whew, something else. Yeah, man, it's um, it's uh, it's got uh, its own thing going on. It's not <laughs> um, not quite as maybe buoyant as your film, um, but nonetheless, is a fuck movie where nobody fucks. So, uh, my movie for the theme, fuck movies where no one fucks is a movie from 1961. It was written and directed by Jean-Pierre Melville based on a book by Beatrix Beck, and it's called Leon Moran Priest. Moi, j'aime une jeune fille. Bien sûr, tous les hommes de votre âge sont partis. Vous, vous êtes bien un homme de mon âge. So we're going to talk a little bit about French New Wave, <laughs> which is going to put some people on edge because it's that artsy fartsy stuff. But hopefully I won't, it won't be too much of a slog. Okay. So the director of this film is one of my faves, Jean-Pierre Melville. He was primarily known for like crime, noirish heist movies. Uh, during like that kind of French New Wave era, he worked. He worked a little bit before French New Wave, but you know it was this like I'd say like late forties to early seventies, right? And his name, I, I would say, he was not as famous, especially in America, as somebody like a Jean Luc Godard or like a Francois Truffaut, right? But I will say, I think as time has passed, he has become beloved almost kind of like a cult director i would say maybe um he made movies like army of shadows and le cercle rouge and he, he made one of my favorite movies ever le samurai with Alain Delon. so leon moran priest though is sort of like an anomaly in his filmography because because like i just mentioned he was known for making these kind of like i don't know guy movies for lack of a better term like these crime films and there's like, it was always with like Alain Delon or like, you know, Belmondo. But here's the thing about Leon Moran is that it, the protagonist of this film is a woman. It's from her point of view, which to me, you know, as a fan of his films makes this one really special for me, yeah. right? So a one sentence synopsis of this film a widow living in occupied France during the Second World War is drawn to a young, attractive priest working at the local church, first as a way to sort out her lack of spirituality, but then slowly finds herself lusting after him. <laughs> Which always goddamn happens. If anyone in listening right now has ever been to church, they're like, what? Like, because our priests were not Jean-Paul Belmondo. Our priests were like the fucking crib keeper. Okay, listen. Okay. I know we are living in a post fleabag world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where now everybody loves a hot priest. But I'm sorry, Leon Moran is the daddy of them all. Okay. Thank he you. walked so that Andrew Scott could fucking fly. <laughs> period. Period. <laughs> and 
if you think about it like this, okay, when this film was made, Jean-Paul Belmondo had just made Breathless, which is essentially his most famous film. It's essentially the most famous film of the French New Wave. And he was making it sort of at the same time as this, and it came out before this movie. So by the time this movie came out, he was a fucking superstar. Mm-hmm. And so imagine this hot guy playing a priest and it's like minds are exploding everywhere. I mean, it's just like for me personally, okay, he, in this era, he's like in his mid twenties, he's like tall and lean and he has these like pillowy, beautiful lips, his mouth. And it's like this nose. He just looks like he got fucking box in the face. It's all like flattened by like a a bare knuckle brawl. And it, I'm sorry, it is game over for me. Game <laughs> over. I don't care. I mean, like you you can pull out all the hot priest movies you want. Like you can talk about I Confess with Montgomery Cliff. Like you can talk about any of that stuff. Andrew Scott, great, great contender, but it ain't. John Paul in no. Leon Moran. And sorry. he's got those like sleepy eyes. Like the like he's he's very dreamy. Don't even get me started. I mean, I won't tell this story. Maybe I'll tell it on a bonus, but I gotta tell you, I actually met John Paul Belmondo once <gasps> before he died at the TCM Film Festival. Oh. And I, I don't I, this is too much of a story to tell right now, but I Oh, we gotta t- take it to Wondery Plus, folks. Yes, yes. I'll just <gasps> I was very emotional. Let's just say that. It was kind of embarrassing anyway subscribe to Wondery plus to hear that story <laughs> um but um okay so i gotta admit there's a lot going on in this film right but the heartbeat of it is that it's this like slice of life story narrated by this woman named barney and she is played by emmanuel riva who was also a huge star of the french new wave she was you know in hiroshima mon Amour, like a lot of a lot of great films and in Leon Moran, she is a widow and a single mother of a half-Jewish child. She's living in a village in France during World War II, during the occupation, as I mentioned. And Melville himself actually lived through the occupation. And he joined the resistance and it informed a lot of his movies. So this was just one of the movies where he talked about, you know, life during this era. Right. Right. Um, And the movie is kind of set up kind of in this way where, you know, she's narrating it. And there's like kind of these little vignettes all throughout the film where it's showing kind of like what's going on in the village. And then also like Barney's interactions with people. Right. So Mm -hmm. one moment she's at work where she is essentially like an office worker for this like correspondence school. And Normally, she'd be in Paris, but since the war happened, they're kind of stationed out in this, like, village out in the rural France, right? And, you know, she's doing her part as a member of the resistance. She's helping people go into hiding. She's securing baptisms for the kids, like her daughter, but also these other kids, so they're not going to be taken away by the Nazis. I mean, it's, like, Mm. a, a very big deal. And... You know, it's kind of set up in this way where you're just kind of showing like things that are happening all around her. And the vibe is that, you know, these are people who are just trying to get through the day. 
you know, war is obviously just like the central focus of their lives. And there's like bombs going off and like things happening. And like, they're just trying to stay alive, basically. Right? Yeah. However, Barney, very it's established very early in the film that Barney is somebody who has a kind of lightness to her in spite of like all this like chaos happening. Uh, and she's just kind of this like passionate romantic at heart and you yeah. know interestingly enough has these kind of secret sexual desires that are kind mm -hmm. of like simmering under the surface right and right really quickly in the movie i have to say she starts talking about this fascination that she has with this woman in her office named sabine which I don't have to tell you an over lesbian storyline in a 60s film. That's pretty fresh, I would say. Right? Absolutely. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> we don't got to talk about that. You know, I mean, it's like that thing where even when I, I've seen this movie so many times, but even when that happens, I'm like, yeah, wow, this is like, and it's not like a coded thing. It is no. out there. We out oh. here with the storyline, right? Perfect. Her friend, like she sits at the, she sits at the kitchen table and tells her friend about it. And her friend's like, "So you want to have sex with her?" And she's like, "No, no, no." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure you want to have sex with her." And like, and look, the way her narration is describing this woman, and she calls her like an Amazon woman, and like she's like, there's like a moment where she comes over and is kind of like leaning over the desk and is like helping her with something, and her like breasts are touching her, and she's like, "Oh my god, I yeah. feel in a charge," and I'm like, "Damn." <laughs> And it's also, it's very, it's kind of striking that this storyline was very fresh at this point and definitely sh striking that it happened. But also this office is filled with like the meanest, nastiest women otherwise. <laughs> like they are so fucking, pa such pain in the fucking ass. And like, because this takes place during the occupation, brace yourself for some very unkind things to be said about various <laughs> ethnicities. Yes, but, yes. But these women are fucking nightmares. So it's also like Sabine is kind of a, a port in the storm for her because she has to go to work with these monsters every day. <laughs> I know. And like, there's, you know, there's obviously like certain people that are at different levels. Like some are part of the resistance and other people are kind of like um, Vichy you know, they're kind of more uh, outwardly racist. I guess that's kind of what I would say. Yeah. And they're they're sort of collaborationists, I, I guess that's what they were called. And sometimes, like, she's commingling with these people and she's just like, you know, here's what I think is, it's really about. First of all, the reality is that Barney is a widow, right? Everyone is in this, like, kind of austere wartime mode, right? There's no men around mm -hmm. at all because they're either fighting in the resistance or they've been sent to camps. I mean, that's the reality of this village. Yeah. And the problem is, is that there's just so much going on and there's so many different types of people kind of commingling. There's uh, people who are completely gone. Um, and so it creates this like weird kind of social environment and a lot of people are keeping things to themselves, but then a lot of people are like, an interesting component to this movie for me is that there's like, there are people who are kind of like, it's not a black and white thing, like cer certain people who are bad and then will do a good thing. Some, right. And then the opposite is true too, right? Yeah, like they're monsters, but they'll hide someone. Or there's that one part where she was hiding a family and as she's sending them away, she's like, I hate you, but I would die for you. 
And yeah. you're like, damn. <laughs> yeah. And there are people who are clearly breaking laws and rules, like, to help people. Uh, but then there are people who are like, you know, like her coworker who is really racist, who, you know, ends up being like a friend of her in another way. And so it's just this thing where, you know, that's part of the this movie, but also just a part of, I think, the reality of war yeah. and chaos, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there, so basically there are no men in this village, right? And here's the thing about Barney. So as a good communist atheist <laughs> shitster, she goes into a church one day and she essentially just wants to troll one of the priests. Yeah. Like she's like, she's like, hey, listen, I'm going to go into this church and I'm going to fuck with one of the priests. And her friend's like, okay. Uh, so she walks into this church and, you know, she's like, it, it's confession. And like, so there's all these like different priests that are doing the confession. And then she just picks one that she thinks has the most working class name. Yeah. And it happens to be this guy, Leon Moran. Okay. So she goes into the confessional. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, we're living in a post-flea bag world. Maybe people know what confessionals are now. I don't know. But for those of you who aren't Catholic or weren't raised Catholic and have no concept of what confession is, okay? So it's basically, this confessional is basically like a booth where you go into essentially darkness, and you've got, you sit down or you kneel down next to this like lattice window. Sometimes it's not. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. It's uh, just like they slide it open and it's like, what's up? Welcome to McDonald's. What's your fucking sins? And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. I once went to this church as a kid where they gave you the option to do it behind the thing. Or you could come out and sit with the priest like in a living room. And I was like... Uh, I'm 12 years old and I don't really don't want to sit in front of this guy like on a couch next to him. You better put me in that fucking box. (laughs) (laughs) I I need the the cover of darkness to talk about my fucking shit. I'm 12. Shit is horrible right now. I know. And and I actually got coaxed into doing the face to face. And (gasps) I was just sitting there like I stole a dollar from my mom's purse and I don't know what to do. You know, like I was like freaking out. Um. So now you understand why Catholicism fucks people up. I hope you I hope you guys get that. But um so basically, yeah, you go into this this like little box and you basically just confess your darkest sins to somebody, like a priest, and then um he gives you like a penance and I mean I hope I'm not I hope I'm not gonna like kill people off with this statement, but is this situation slightly erotic? You bet. You're sitting you in a fucking dark in a box, confessing your sins to someone you're essentially calling daddy. Yes, absolutely. And and so imagine going into this box and it's prime of his career, Jean-Paul Belmondo in there. Okay. <laughs> that box, that confession box just became a Times Square quarter fucking <laughs> sex booth. Like, ma'am, stop putting fucking Franks in here. Well, I know we're fond of talking about glory holes on this podcast, and you know somebody's <laughs> pulling out their handsaw, and they're like, let's go. Um, God. I'm going to do a sign of the cross just in case. Um, so, <laughs> so, so Barney goes in this thing, and she is, like, ready to go. She's like, 
first things out of her mouth, like, God is dead. Organized religion is stupid. <laughs> and she's like, got him, right? But to her surprise, Father Moren's like, look, I get it, actually. Like, yeah. religion is getting too flashy, and we need to go back to, you know, the basics or whatever. And it's like, she is dead in her tracks. Like, she's like... <laughs> oh, I came in here to, like, fuck with this guy, and now he's agreeing with me, and that is really weird, and I don't know what to do now. Um, so they have this very, you know, spiritual... Like, there's a lot of questions going back and forth, and it's... The way it's shot, don't even get me started. It's like, they talk... There's, like, shots of them and where you can see the lattice, and there's other times where there's just, like... I guess Melville, like, shoots it in between them where you don't see the yeah. separation. And it's like they're talking to each other, like, whispering to each other is, like, fucking five inches from each other's face it's very very hot i will say but he's like okay come over visit me in my office i'll let you borrow some books about god see you later okay so then barney just starts visiting him every week and at his you know his little, little priest quarters or whatever and they begin this like intellectual relationship essentially mm -hmm. and they're talking about religion and philosophy and He's letting her borrow more and more books, and she goes home and reads them in one fucking night. And you don't got to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going on here, okay? And this is the basis of this film. It's this mm -hmm. chase priest who has obviously taken a vow of celibacy, but he also happens to be hot as hell, and he's in a village full of single women. Not a man in sight who isn't in a fucking uniform. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody is feeling some type of way because it's a war and there's just like so much chaos and everybody's trying to make meaning and you got this hot priest who's just like, come over, come to my office and I'll let you borrow some books. And just spend some time, spend some time. Like, here's the thing. I mean, this is the situation and, he and I will be here to tell you, I think you might agree with me, Leon Moran is seducing Barney and these women. Absolutely. And now, this is the thing about the hot priest. The hot priest takes it to the goddamn edge, takes it to the limit, <laughs> and then is like, oh, sorry, remember God? Remember Jesus? I can't. He is a fuckboy. Listen. <laughs> you know how I feel about a fuckboy. Do you, do you know how many times I almost picked this movie for classic movie fuckboys? Do you know how many times Thank I did you. that? Because he is, he is so like, I'm just going to show up and be hot and talk to you and seduce you in my bleak ass austere quarters <laughs> with like a bed and a fucking mirror and a cross. There's like a chair to sit in, so I have to pace around you like a fucking panther. Listen. He knows exactly what he's fucking doing. He is a, yep. He's a fuckboy who doesn't fuck. These are fuck movies where nobody fucks. He's yes. a fuckboy who doesn't fuck. A hundred percent facts. And... Because I got to tell you, letting somebody borrow your books is a sexual mm. act. Do Thank not you. get it twisted. Okay? Thank you. He's acting like he doesn't fuck. But the but this this whole game is a dance. It's a seductive dance. And th this is like I think part of the movie that really is frustrating because you want him to know that. And there's a part of me that thinks he does know that. Like, he knows it. Yes. And he doesn't give a shit. And this is his way of expressing whatever it is within him, his passions, his desires. And he's, and he's doing it in this way that's, like, 
fucked up. You know what I mean? I think like, you. I think you have to approach this movie if you've seen it. If you've seen it at least once, the next time you watch it, you have to approach it as he knows exactly what he's doing, and it kind of, it it kind of changes the game. Yeah, a little bit. It it, it does. Because here's the thing: this guy runs hot and cold all the time, <laughs> all the time. Where I'm like, that's that's fuckboy shit. Let's get serious. There are moments of this movie, okay, where he actually, like, Leon Moran, Father Moran, he's, like, touching Barney in these weird ways. Like, he puts his hands on her shoulders or, like, pushes Mm -hmm. her out of the way. And it's just, like, for me, when I see those scenes, I think it's just his way of saying, I'm here physically, Right. Like I, I I can't obviously show feelings of love or affection towards you, but I got to touch you in some way. Yep. And if it means that I'm just going to do it like in this really kind of random fucked up way, it, it just is so loaded. And in, in her mind, she's like, he touched me and mm-hmm. it is making her lose her goddamn mind, like slowly Absolutely. over the course of this film. I got to talk about this. I got to talk about this scene. This is insane there's like two really insane (laughs) scenes for me so there's a scene where she goes return his books like she's always returning books and he kind of shoves her out of the way with his hand Mm -hmm. when she walks into his place okay then he comes out and brings her a pair and he's like i saved you this pair and she turns it down okay I don't know what that means. I think maybe she's just like not into pairs, but it could be like a other thing. I don't know. But she turns it down. Okay. And then he gets like kind of put out by that. And then she kind of shifts it into this mode of like, well, I got to ask you, like, do you ever think of me ever? And then he tells her, no, I don't. Also, you need to paint your toenails and get a husband. (laughs) And then in that moment, of where she's feeling rejection and it's probably like going, what the fuck is going on? She says, no, I don't need a husband because I jerk off with a stick. <laughs> Which I have many questions about that. I just got to like, say. Goes out in the fucking yard and just like cracks a branch. Like what's <laughs> happening with this stick? I, I'm, I'm quite unclear about how this <laughs> happens. And then he's like, like shook for a moment but then that's it. Like he, they're basically like, "Yo, we got into our first fight. It was weird as shit, and we gotta go." But it's like <laughs> at this moment, it's just that she couldn't, she couldn't help herself. Like she's just like, "I can't." Absolutely. I can't sit in this anymore. And then, in spite of this awkward, very deeply awkward conversation, okay, he starts coming around again. He's just like coming to her house. He's like hanging out with her daughter, and like one day. Again, she's just like, would you marry me if you weren't a priest? And he's like, I gotta go. Like, he shuts it down. But he's provoking her, right? He's provoking her. He totally... He totally... Like, I gotta go. And and listen, th- this is the absolute cherry on top. This is the fucking cherry on top of this shit. So, like, she, he doesn't come back for a long time. <laughs> And then one day out of the blue, he comes back to her house. So he starts coming to her house. Okay. And they have their intellectual sparring, which he loves. That gives him the greatest pleasure in the world to like talk his shit with all these women who think he's Mm. so smart and interesting. Okay. 
And um, maybe that's a little bit of me projecting. I don't, I don't know. But in that moment, I was like, he's coming back for more because he can't help it. This is his way of, yes. of, of having sex is talking about religion with people, right? Mm-hmm. And, sh- and Barney is just short circuits. And she tries to make a legit move on him. And he jumps up. Like, he jumps up as if, like, the worst thing in the world happened. And he's so angry. And then he's like, guess what? You're going to have to confess that sin. And guess what? You're going to have to do it with me. Mm. Like, you're going to have to get that confessional and you're going to have to tell me that you try to fuck a priest. And she does it. And I'm just like, this is blowing my mind. Like, I can't even imagine this, right? And if you look back at when she first went to this church and you look at their board, there's like 19 priests there. Yes! If she was truly going to be made to confess, which she isn't like punished to do because she's not actually religious. Right. Then she could do it with any one of the other priests. But he's like, you know what? This will get me off to fucking make you feel like shit. Yep. Let's do it. I mean, this priest, I mean, to say the least, this priest is trying it, will try it. His words are how he fucks. And honestly, you just got to stay out of the way if you don't want your head to explode from the fact that you're never going to be able to sleep with this guy. Period. (laughs) That's just the way it goes. And I mean, listen, I'm not going to give away the last scene of the film. Okay. I wouldn't dare. Because it, like, to me, the last scene in this film is like my top five most I'm destroyed and I can't function for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. last scenes ever like i just i remember the first time i saw this movie i could i was like i gotta go sit like alone like i gotta go be by myself the rest of the night because this was too much right <laughs> but i'm gonna tell you right now in the last scene of this film i'm pretty sure jean-pierre melville was like okay how can i make this guy as hot as possible <laughs> in this frame like, how can we do this? Just as a big fuck you at the end of the film. Like, we're going to make Jean-Paul Belmondo come out from behind this fucking closet that he's nailing a, a, a nail into. And he's going to come out and he's going to be the hottest you've ever seen him. And he's going to be like undoing the fucking collar of his coat. And that's just going to be how we're going out. And then we're movie. done. <laughs> It's crazy, people. It's crazy. And it's a cruelty. The yeah. whole movie's a cruelty. And it's like, I don't blame Barney at all. I have so many questions, but I don't blame her. <laughs> She's like, look, I'm hard up for conversation. I'm hard up for sex. I'm hard up in general for everything. Mm. And you are fulfilling this for me. And he is just jerking her around. And the thing that really gets me about him is his like pretending to not enjoy it when you're like, you wouldn't keep doing it if you didn't enjoy it, you fuck yeah. boy. Yeah. And, like, there's this great article about this movie um, on the Criterion website. It was mm-hmm. It's called Life During Wartime, and it was written by a writer named Gary Indiana, which I think is kind of a cool name. It's but, so sweet. But in this article, it talks about how the concept of, of this, this priest, this Leon Marin, like, you know, he's only probably in his early 20s, mid-20s. He's probably been in seminary school or whatever since he was a child. And in a lot of ways, he just doesn't have like 
I don't think he really knows like how to be with women or how to be, how to have that, like, you know, the priest thing, but also be, you know, sort of like a man or something, you know, I don't know yeah. if that's the like right He hasn't thing. grown up yet quite. Right. Exactly. He hasn't grown up and he doesn't know how to truly be like respectful or something. But anyway, it's, we might cut that because I don't even actually know if that's what he was saying but, um, or if it's just my interpretation. But no, I really do think you should read the article because it reveals a lot. It definitely talks about how Melville was like, I am making a movie about a priest who is hot as hell and everybody falls in love with him and he doesn't fuck them. Like he's basically mm-hmm. like, this is what, this is the movie I set out to make. And for that, that's why I was like, for this theme, it is, there couldn't be another, there could not be another. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Melville, mission fucking accomplished. It's a great movie though. Like it's really, it's a heavy one, but it's really great and beautiful and weird. And, and yeah. I just, I really, I love it. And it, ahead of its time in so many ways. And I do want to talk about one scene that is such a throwaway scene, but Every time I see it, I'm like, ooh, like it makes me cringe. Mm. What the fuck is going on with Gunther, the goddamn soldier, Mm. giving her little girl bracelets and hugging her and making her sing songs that are like, I love you so much. Yeah. The fuck is going on there? It's this moment where I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it was in an effort to kind of show that like, you know, that that the idea that, like, good people can do bad things and bad people can do good things. And it's kind of that, like, Frankenstein moment where he gives... I'm sorry, Frankenstein's, Frankenstein's monster, monster moment where he gives the little girl the flower. And it's just kind of this, supposed to be this, like, gentle, like, look at this Nazi being so tender. But then it's also this weird, like, well, how long have they been hanging out? And, like, it feels you. slightly romantic. And that should not happen, obviously. That's what makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, this kid is, like... Five. Why are you hanging out with this? Why are you hanging out with this kid at all? Why do you know her name? I was literally waiting for him to say, you remind me so much of my daughter back at home. That never happened. Never happened. There's no relief. You're just left with this weird Nazi seducing a girl. Like, it's just like, what is going on here? It made Nazis look awful, thankful, like just as bad as they are in general. Yeah, yeah. And then she but comes like, in and it's like, I love him. I love him. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, because he yeah. gave you some bling. This girl's blinged out from this fucking weird Nazi that he, she met in a field. <laughs> I, loved, I love this kid in general. There's this other scene where she comes home and she's like, well, I've learned everything. And her mom's like, what? And she's like, some priest came to school today or I went to fucking catechism and I learned everything. I know how exactly how we were made and I'm good. Peace. Yeah. Her daughter's name is France, which I think is so cute. But like she yeah. is really, really great. Like the whoever the actress is that plays her. But she's she's awesome. And that's another part of it, too, where Leon Moran comes to their house and is like being very fatherly and uh, towards mm-hmm. the daughter. I mean, it's just like. It's like a Tetris of, like, desire that keeps building and building and building, and then she just can't take it anymore, and it's just, that's when the movie, like, the all hell breaks loose moment is after this just can't sustain itself. Like, he's too hot, and he's flirting with me too much, and this is too cozy. I have to figure this out, and oh my god. Oh, 
Oh god, she's yeah. She needs to spend more time at home making sure her kid is not being romanced by a fucking <laughs> soldier. <laughs> like if she needs a place for that energy, like just hang out with your kid for a minute. Stop sending her out to the goddamn country, even though I know that was how in an effort to keep her safe. Right. Like just right. maybe ch- just chat with her, see what her life is like in this moment, because it is weird. <laughs> you think you're going through some weird shit with this priest? That kid is going through some weird shit too. <gasps> oh shit uh she's like i live with pre- these two spinsters <laughs> like i left this one family on this one farm went home for a minute befriended a fucking soldier nazi soldier and now i live with these two old ladies who talk about their hair all the time there's also another part too which again i understand like the i the idea of you know in wartime, not being able to get certain foods. But there's this time right. where Barney goes to her friend's house and her friend's like, I got you a present. It's lard. And she's like, lard. And she just starts gnawing on lard. She's <laughs> I was like, damn. She's fucking trucking on her bike. We're going to get all the lard eaters on our ass. They're going to be like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with eating straight up lard on a bike? It's called the keto diet. Look into it. <laughs> Why can I hop on this fucking rickety ass bike and pedal down a lane, eating a stick of lard? As if as if that's not disconcerting enough. A stick of lard, not even like a tub or a can. Yeah, it's like she bought an entire package of bacon from the grocery store, ripped it open, and then there's no bacon. It's just the fat, and she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, for, like I said, I, French people they love their fats. This is a a, a war torn era. People love food. They need food. But if for my in my eyes, I was like, I could never eat lard. But that's fine. Not like that. Not on a fucking bike <laughs> out of a like a baguette. Like I, I'm not eating lard like a baguette. That is never happening. You might throw it in a recipe, but I'm never just straight up like. Let me unpack this butcher's cut of lard <laughs> and shit shove it down my fucking throat. <sighs> While I'm fantasizing about a priest. This town needs less priests and more therapists. That's like every town for the yeah. history from our history. Everybody history there needs less priests, more therapists. And for as a as a movie for this theme, like it's perfect for me. I, I actually was like I said, I've been trying to shoehorn in this movie for fucking years. Like, I'm like, what are we Truly gonna do yeah. with Moran? I, I it's like what am I like I've been wanting to talk about it for so long. With someone. It and has I'm been so glad. on the list since we genuinely started the podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. I was like, when are we going to talk about this fucked up Catholic movie, for God's sakes? Well, that was a joy. This was a fun episode. It was fun, man. I had such a blast with Scotty and Pete. I had a uh, blast with you talking about these films. Oh, uh, you want to tell them what the movies are for next week? Fuck yeah, I do. I cannot wait. (laughs) (laughs) Our movie's next week. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) Night of the Comet from 1984 and Commando from 1985. This is the diamond cutter. I'm doing a diamond cutter, the Diamond Dallas page. Like, yeah! Who was that guy that used to throw the X over his crotch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't The Rock, was it? No. no! Who, who did that? It was oh, the Stonemason? I don't know what that guy's name was. <laughs> <laughs> Death? Whatever. 
watch. I just remember seeing clips of him like throwing his hands aggressively in an X shape over his crotch. Yeah, whatever th- that was, this <laughs> which to me looks always slightly vaginal, the the diamond cutter. But that's how fucking excited I am for these movies next week. Oh my god. Oh god. I cannot wait. It is of course an absolute joy and pleasure to do this with you. Oh my god. Absolutely a fucking pleasure. If you guys want to email us again, we're at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And uh, we would love some FMKs. You know us. We love them. So make send em, whatever you got. Make them saucy. Like, make us work for it. <laughs> Follow Sam's idea. Follow yeah. Sam's example. Make yeah. us work for it. Um, and you can also find us on our social media at I Saw Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and this is a gr- what a great time for you to leave us a five-star review. On old Apple Podcasts, you know what it does? It helps people find our podcast because it moves us up the list. Mm -hmm. And we are on a list with actual celebrities talking about TV and movies now. So we need need you to do that. Yeah, it's like every famous person now has a podcast and they're all in our category. And I'm like, well, fuck, dude. Like Jenny Garth (laughs) and Lala from Vanderpump and damn... (laughs) Literally everyone... Albert Brooks and <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's always in TV and film. And I'm like, please come on. So yeah, leave us a review and just, you know, go ahead and leave us a review and tell us the name of that fucking wrestler who threw his <laughs> hands over his crotch. If you can't think of anything to say, <laughs> it wasn't John Cena, right? I'm, I'm, now I'm just going to start naming no. wrestlers. So I'm pretty, it's something like the, the earth mate, the earth taker or like the undertaker. The, I think the Undertaker. Like, was that him? Yeah. No, I didn't realize he did that. I, I don't even I, know if it was him. I think the Undertaker just showed up and looked creepy. Like he just had like straggly, greasy hair. It was like, <laughs> I'm gonna undertake you, and they're like, what? But the the guy who threw his hands over was something else, and I gotta know who it was. Do not email us. Leave us a five star review and tell us. Yes, and also we're gonna do an entire wrestling theme bonus. So get ready for that shit. Fuck yeah, Coco beware, watch out. Do you remember? I think we talked about this before, the Junkyard Dog song. Oh yeah. Oh of Grab course. Grab them cakes. Grab them cakes. We played it. <laughs> I think we played a clip of it on the pod. I got I got Grab them remembering cakes. shit. I am too young to have this memory. I'm like, we did talk about that, right? <laughs> this is this is the, this is what's going on though in my life. I will talk about grab them cakes all the time. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't remember who the hell I'm talking about. Grab them cakes with. I just throw it out there like a little lifeline. Like yeah. maybe I'll reel in my my fucking one true love. <laughs> talking about wow. grab them cakes. Good thing we played it on the pod. We had to get it cleared by our legal department to <laughs> play grab them cakes. <laughs> well, oh. on that note, see y'all later. Peace. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogle. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail.
Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.